Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Providence resident Molly Huddle has been tearing up the racetrack since she ran as a one-woman cross-country team in high school. The two-time Olympian still holds the American record for the fastest 10K. And now Huddle can add author to her list of accomplishments. She teamed up with fellow distance runner Sarah Slattery to write How She Did It, a book profiling 50 accomplished long-distance runners. We'll talk about that book, her running career, and more after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with two-time Olympic runner and six-time American record holder Molly Huddle, co-author of a new book titled How She Did It. Thanks for joining me today, Molly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. You grew up in upstate New York in Elmira, but now you call Providence home. As a professional runner, you could live anywhere. So what attracted you to the Ocean State? Was it just the chance to see me running on Blackstone <laughs> Boulevard or was it more than that? Yes, I've lived here 15 years now, which is crazy to think about. And what attracted me was actually... There's a great running history in Providence. The seeds were planted at Providence College. My coach, Ray Tracy, is the track coach there. And so him coaching me and his group of women, he had world-class women there when I arrived. And we've kind of pared down to two or three athletes. But that's what attracted me. And um, yeah, I definitely loved living here. I escaped for the winter. But other than that, it's actually a great training environment with all the road races and just the running history that's in New England is actually quite good. So... Yeah, I've always been <laughs> amazed at the running community here in Providence. I mean, you've had Kim Smith and Roisin McGettigan, Emily Sisson, uh, and others running here. So how do you explain it? What, what's the attraction? I think it's the people. You know, I think it's the knowledge base that's here. You know, Ray is one of the best coaches in the world for distance running. And, you know, so that's going to attract a lot of other runners. And then you just want that group environment. And I think from there, it just kind of takes off. So. <laughs> and you mentioned you spend the winters where? Where do you go? I've been going to Phoenix, Arizona the last, gosh, eight to 10 years, I think it is. So this is my first winter in Rhode Island. I feel like I'm more official as a Rhode Islander. I've, I trained through the winter this year. But yeah, that was our pattern. Go away for two months, 
get some sun, get some good training, come back, do some of the road races in the spring here. And yeah, it's been that way for years and it's been working really well. So tell us what inspired you to write your new book, How She Did It. Yes, I wrote, I co-wrote it with my friend who I've done a little training with. I met her in Phoenix, Sarah Slattery. That's where she lives. We referenced the Foot Locker National High School Championship for cross country and how Sarah and I both made that as high school athletes. And when you're there, you'll see a lot of really talented girls, often the girls that finish top three, top five. You don't see them competing four or five years later. They quit the sport. They don't have the trajectory that they're predicted to have. And we were just thinking that happens so often. It's almost just like a normalized thing phenomenon in in young women's running and that story kind of hit home for us where we thought there really needs to be more addressed more done you know to help girls navigate the sport as well as the boys do you know the boys become stronger and stronger as they become men and they kind of don't get filtered out of the sport as at high of a level as the girls do and so that was kind of our motivation our idea was to interview our friends who are other elite athletes <laughs> or use our connections to talk to some of the greatest female distance runners ever and get some advice for the book we really want to hit that young female athlete just as she's coming into, you know, getting serious about the sport and just want her to have like a really healthy approach and a long, healthy relationship with running. And what is, what is the problem that's causing that burnout? You know, in the book, you had Emily Sisson mentioning that people saying, oh, you know, you don't look like a runner. You're, you look too strong or something like that. And what messages are that the runner's getting? Yeah, it's probably a combination of a few factors, but we do think the biggest one for the girls is just physical. Like they need to navigate puberty and their body is kind of going to take a step back as far as performance during that time. And so you see a lot of girls trying to avoid it or stop it or underfuel. You know, they're almost even advised to do that. Yeah. Can you just tell me about some of the experience young runners have had being coached by Alberto Salazar? The book mentions like Tara Goucher and how she was being receiving very small portions of food. And she, uh, I meant that image of her being in a room with eating a, a granola bar and hoping no one heard her opening the wrapper stuck with me, you know? Yeah. So like Amy Oder Bagley also in the group and she's in the book talking about Alberto and he's had safe sport violations since this had been written and so he's not allowed to coach anymore from my understanding but it just represents one of the biggest mistakes in women's running which was being reinforced and that's under fueling and it's already so hard to combat that at every age but it's one of the biggest disruptions of your training and racing and so we definitely wanted to hear those women talk about that and just kind of change that facet of women's running, uh, coaching women, and just really get away from what, looking a certain way to we want to transition to building strength, being a strong runner, having good durability, being resilient, avoiding injury, um, and getting away from, well, you should look like this person. Who's right. Running. It seems like too many coaches, Salazar and others, are focusing on one type of mm -hmm. body type and creating body image issues, right? Exactly. And I know that's not the only reason for the eating disorders, because I know like Molly Seidel was talking about anxiety and things, but it is you know, probably if you had to pinpoint one of the biggest causes of injury and overtraining, it's the underfueling. If, if a runner, if a young runner is self-conscious about their body, their body type, what would you tell them? So I kind of try to speak to my younger self and I was always a science nerd and I would just tell them the things that make you a good runner, you can't see. You can't see your blood cells. You can't see your muscles. You can't see your mitochondria. You can't see all those powerhouses inside. So there's a lot of different body types that can be fast. You need to be strong. You need to be healthy and you need to have the things that fuel you to run well. So, you know, you need enough glycogen. You need enough protein. And I just break it down like that. Like, you know, you're this athletic machine. You need to fuel yourself like one. And 
if you flip through the book, there's women that look all kinds of ways running world-class times. So I think that's good to see. Speaking of young runners, back in February, we had Sophia Gorion on the podcast. She's a junior at Moses Brown who set a new under-18 women's world record in the 800 meters. What do you, what do you think of Sophia? Yeah, Sophia's amazing. She has a copy of the book. I see her out running on the board. She's already got one. Yeah. yeah, she's got one. I've done a few little runs with her, her long run last summer. We I would jump in with Kim Smith and go up and down the boulevard a few times. So she's really exciting to watch race. She's definitely who this book is for. <laughs> so hopefully she enjoys meeting some of the women we have in there. And I know she's got a lot of people rooting for her. Oh, I bet. Are you expecting to see her representing Rhode Island in the 2024 Olympics? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to put that pressure on her because like that's part of the book too. Just like if you're this good at this age, you must be this good right, at that right, age. Yeah. And it's just, there's so much navigating to do. So like we hope she just appreciates every step she's doing, you know, just gets better. Just every year, just want to get better. Yeah. What advice do you think a young runner like Sophia could take from the book? There's just a lot of examples of these women who are sort of heroized and you see what they do and you think you have to do something superhuman. But then when we talk to them, it's like, no, they deal with the same things anyone would deal with as far as being nervous or a lot of them did have to correct some dietary things they were lacking. And some of them like Molly Seidel did go through an eating disorder or extreme anxiety, but she came out the other side and got an Olympic medal. So it's like, how do you get through this? How do you get through these things? Let's not step away from the sport. Let's learn these lessons. And so I think there's just a lot in there from the women that maybe in the beginning of the book, when the expert is telling you about this, you say, yes, I know I should do X, Y, and Z. But then when you hear Hazel Clark to say, you need to do it, you'll be like, oh, right. And it worked. She did it and it worked. Or Joan Samuelson did it and it worked. So we think the combination is good. Yeah. You talk about superheroes. Joan Benoit Samuelson is in the book. And uh, she was the first woman's Olympic marathon champion in 1984, two-time Boston Marathon winner. What were some of the things she told you? Yeah, we wanted to talk to some of the women who are like basically pioneers in the sport just for that reference point of like how far the sport has come for women. And there's still actually things we can do, you know, steps that we need to take. But we just thought that perspective was great. And talking to Joan, Joan's so accessible. Like we've talked to her at a lot of road races. So we were really happy to have her in the book. And hear what she had to say for advice. I've asked her for advice myself before. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> and I like that section of the book from Dina Castor titled Running's Rich Rewards. So can you tell us what you would name as the rewards of running? Oh my gosh. We asked like 12 core questions to get these interviews. That was the 12th question. What do you find rewarding? Just because I think it's interesting to ask people that. Um, a lot of people said traveling or the relationships you meet. And it's like, not many people said like my gold medal or like my American record. So we oh, were just, I think that just hits it home for the younger athletes that like, hey, like that's what you want to get out of the sport. But like, this is what you will get out of the sport. So focus on that. It's an important piece of the whole life experience. <laughs> And you're clearly an advocate for female runners. Is it true that you're the reason Apple now has a female runner emoji? So I don't know how true that is. <laughs> I, I did make the formal submission for the emoji, which there's a whole process for making I'll new take emojis. i for it, yeah. And about a, 10 months later, there was 
the emoji created. I think that was like 2015 or 16. And speaking of big front page news, I hear that you and your husband, Kurt Benninger, just had your first child three weeks ago. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, very new parents. <laughs> How long before Josephine is the fastest kid in Rhode Island? <laughs> I'm trying not to pressure her. You know, I don't want to be like, you have to run and enjoy it and be good at it because who knows? You know, who knows what she's going to like. But I saw you posted weekly updates on Instagram, letting people know what you did during training when you're pregnant and how it made you feel. Tell us about that. It wasn't posted as like advice for other pregnant women. Obviously, I'm an elite athlete, and so I'm going to be kind of pushing it with how I train through pregnancy, but I did want to just show because I know people were asking me what I do and what that journey looks like and will I be coming back to running. And so I just wanted to give people updates on what I was able to do that week. And I kind of just felt it out. I mean, I did consult like a physical therapist, but mostly it was going by feel and keeping things easy. <laughs> and and bring us up to date on your own running plans. What does what the future hold? Yeah. So I'm not back running yet. I'm hoping in the next like month or so I can do a few runs, but I'd like to do a fall marathon if that is a timeline as possible for my body. You had struggled with an injury uh, with your hip and ankle, right? How's yes. that? Yeah, that's still going on. So I tore my peroneal tendon in 2019, right before the trials. And so it's still damaged. I'm just trying to build up all the stuff around it so that I can be as efficient as I was. So that's still kind of a work in progress. But I think I've been working on it without running through it the last two months. And I think maybe that's going to help. Yeah, if anything holds me back, it wasn't the pregnancy, it'd be the ankle. <laughs> Professional running's hard, grueling work. What keeps you motivated? There's just still things I haven't done yet. I think that's the key, just new goals and new challenges. For me, that marathon PR, I think I can still chip away at. The marathon itself, I've only came to. What is your years. marathon PR? It's 226.31 or wow, 30 something. That is flying. Um, but with the new shoes and everything, like I think I can chip away at that for sure. So that's the next goal. But yeah, I only, I've, I've run about five marathons. So I think. I'm starting to get the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say. So what's harder, uh, running or writing a book? I think writing the book is harder, <laughs> actually, <laughs> just because it's, it's a big collaboration. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of people involved on this team, whereas with me, it's just like, you know, me, my coach, my training partner just plow ahead. And so I had to definitely recognize there's a different pace with books. We started late 2019, and it only just came out this March. All right, Molly Huddle, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'll see you when you blow by me on the boulevard. Yeah, see you out there. Here are some other stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. I have details on a Senate bill that will launch a State Department of Housing using $300 million in federal funds to buy and build homes in response to Rhode Island's housing crisis. Our columnist Dan McGowan has the details on the latest Kids Count Factbook. The annual report details the financial, emotional, medical, and educational conditions of kids under the age of 18 in Rhode Island. My colleague Alexa Gagas has a Q&A with the founding director of RISD's Center for Complexity, which aims to reimagine harm reduction centers in the state. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Amy Padula. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.
Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org slash passport. That's ripbs.org slash passport.